Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode 19 for the week of June 4th, 2018. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mike. Uh, we're a couple of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, this week, we'll be getting into the spirit of pride by talking about drag at Eurovision. Happy Pride, Mike. Thank you. Happy Pride. So uh, like a good ally with this topic, I'm going to just be quiet and listen to people who know what they're talking about. I mean, well, we're going to get to we're going to get to drag at Eurovision, but let's check in with the news. There is news, right? Oh, yeah. Front of mind, I guess, is the planning for uh, next year's contest, uh, which is as of right now, still going to be held in Israel. Uh, the EBU uh, sent out what some were considering a cryptic tweet, Instagram, and Facebook posts. Like their, their PR department really needs to figure out their uh, methods of delivering these messages. Just reminding folks not to make their travel arrangements yet, since absolutely nothing has been confirmed. Like all, all that is known at this point is Israel won the contest, and as the winners, they will most likely host next year. They they have the opportunity to host, so just just calm down, you guys. It's 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 June. The 2018 competition again was in May and mid-May, so it's been two weeks, yeah, or thereabouts. So you know, just just cool it. At least wait for like a few more months, right? Or at least until like they pick what city it's going to be in, what the venue is, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. all all of those planning meetings are going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. So so just uh, don't book all the Airbnbs in Israel just as a preliminary measure. Although one of the fun planning details that did come out a couple weeks ago was uh, that uh, Gal Gadot, you know, Wonder Woman, had been approached to be a host of the contest. I guess this was something that had been in the works for the last couple of years, just in case Israel won. But um, apparently she's busy. Uh, I guess there's some sort of movie that may be coming out around this time next year that she's been working on. Uh- <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. you know, shoot for the moon. Yeah, I think that would have been an amazing get and probably like awesome cross promo for the wonder woman sequel yeah but but also israel you can't spend your entire budget on the host come on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be interesting to see once planning like gets underway particularly in terms of venue because uh some of the proposed venues that have been mentioned like some of them don't have uh a roof like they're open air stadiums so that's going to require some major construction yeah and speaking of major construction one of the venues does not exist it's just a city that's very excited about the eurovision and would like to host and also just needs to like as part of their proposal build a stadium or similar venue yeah which i mean is not completely unheard of no, uh, i mean at- see azerbaijan all those years ago yeah although there were some like eminent domain issues uh, surrounding that, so hope- hopefully it won't be as um, controversial of yeah. a new venue process. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I- again, just just calm down, everybody. It's mm-hmm. it's still a year away. So <laughs> for as far as participants that are excited already, mm-hmm. well, excited might not be the the right word. Uh, because Bosnia and Herzegovina probably won't be there. I mean, they're kind of off again, on again, but they're currently three million euro in debt, so that's probably a situation that's going to take a little time to resolve. Yeah, they they they've been having a lot of financial issues, uh, hence their on again, off again status. It's unfortunate because I've always liked their entries, mm-hmm. and it'll it'll be nice to see them come back at some point. But yeah, that 
3 million euro debt is no joke. Like that's that's how uh Romania got booted uh unceremoniously uh, a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. better to know that now, I guess, but hope to see you soon, Bosnia. In positive news, Liechtenstein might, but I feel like Liechtenstein and Kazakhstan, there's like a few that sort of get tossed around every year, but like Liechtenstein looks like they're getting their paperwork in order, signing it in triplicate, generally, you know, figuring out what the budget looks like, how they'd pick things. Again, it's early. Let's not let's not put all of our Eurovision eggs in one Eurovision basket yet. There are a lot of hoops that countries need to get through to be eligible to compete in Eurovision. And we'll be talking about that in a couple of episodes, like what what all you need to do. Like there are memberships involved. There's like UN recognition as a like sovereign state, like th- those sort of criteria. So it's interesting if you're a like process nerd but just in terms of being a participant in eurovision it's more than just saying hey i want to participate such as for australia like one of the more interesting facts i learned in prepping for this week's show is that much like a vampire into your home australia must be invited by the host nation to participate in the eurovision song contest yes their initial participation was like as a special guest for the 60th anniversary and then they did really well and we're just like oh well let's invite them again and like they've been been invited the four years that they've participated but there has been talk about like australia possibly boycotting uh because of like what has been happening in israel recently but it's like um you can't really boycott if we haven't invited you yet i'm sure they'll probably get an invitation just because they have been so strong in the competition but uh i I know like from overhearing conversations on my trip to this year's Eurovision that a lot of people are just like, mm, Australia. Mm. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fun when you have a guest come over for the weekend, but when they stay around a little bit too long, although, I mean, every, I thought everybody liked Australia, but again, I'm an American and I'm often wrong about these things. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is like, they are taking a spot that like, Another country, they they could be the ones that qualify for the final. But at the same time, it's like, hey, Australia's giving qu- like quality product. Mm-hmm. Up your game? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you want to get through, you should submit a good song. Yeah. Of course, our little na- nations like Andorra and Slovakia, they've been taken a few years off. In the case of Andorra, I think they've taken like eight years off at least. Actually, it might be. It, it's like a decade now because like I remember them in the 2008 competition and never since. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Andorra compete. So, uh, and I've been following since 2010, I want to yeah. say. So, yeah. Um, so. And then Slovakia, uh, their last entry, I believe, was in 2012. And yeah, like their attitude has always just been kind of whatever. So, okay. yeah. And I, th- that's kind of the vibe that I got when I visited Slovakia, that they're just sort of like, whatever, we're just going to do our own thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it's delightful. And yeah, I think Eurovision's just not their thing. It, I, I don't think it rated well uh, on their broadcaster. So they're just like, yeah, why are we spending all of this money on something that nobody has any interest in right now? Exactly. So. We're, we're not interested in this. We're not doing particularly well at it. Why are we spending the money on this? couple Eurovision in the wild spottings. Yeah. So Toy, Israel's winning entry from this year, has now become the most watched video on uh, Eurovision's YouTube channel. I checked just before we started recording, and it is up to 66.5 million views. Just as a reference point, uh, just before the rehearsals got started, so this would have been 
about a month ago at this point, it was only at like 15 million views only as if like that, that is like a paltry number. Like I would love 15 million YouTube views on anything I produced. Yeah. So I just quadrupling that and in a very short amount of time, cause like it, it didn't have like crazy growth, like before the final and then it it won and then just exploded that sort of growth like no eurovision winner like at least in recent memory has had that kind of response or it, it's staggering just seeing how, how these numbers played out also like as a point of reference the uh former number one video was uh france's 2010 entry uh, by Jesse Matador, which is uh, Ale Ola Ole. Like, that is an eight-year-old song that has held on all this time as being the most-watched video, and then it just took a month for uh, Netta and Toy to just overtake that. Yeah, just destroy that. And, like, that one, I think, had, like, some legs because it got picked up as, like, a World Cup sort of a deal. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and then it's also just a summer jam. Yeah. So, yeah, def- definitely something that you can play at the beach. No, Nobody would complain. Yeah, nobody so. would complain. They- I feel like no, nobody would come up to you and specifically ask, oh, what's this song? But like, it's something that just feels very beachy and very yeah. appropriate. Yeah. And I mean, I think even their stage performance was just like day at the beach. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was very not France. Like they really should go back to that well. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, and if you happen to be uh, wandering through Times Square over this past weekend, uh, there was a celebration for Israel's 70th anniversary. And part of that celebration was just blasting the toy video on like, all of the video screens and like full audio all of it so i'll be curious to see uh if that has any impact on american airplay anywhere i don't know i've I've been i've been scoping out the spotify charts to see if anything has crossed over yet and uh haven't spotted it yeah like that was one thing i was going to bring up is that that's a lot of views for a video 66 and a half million Mm -hmm. and yet like i was totally expecting like something some sort of minor blip to show up in the u.s given how more how popular it's gotten on things like twitter and, Mm -hmm. and tumblr especially particularly animatable moments but it it feels like nothing so there's like a very devoted fan base that's looking at this but it might be more europe-based or like djs uh i know there are a lot of djs that like use youtube uh for some of their spins and yeah we actually uh got an email a couple weeks ago from a listener in boston who's just like this bar is playing toy this is the best so yeah it's kind of in the underground i don't know speaking of things i didn't know serhat's entry from for san marino from 2016 i didn't know uh has entered the u.s billboard dance club chart okay Uh, yeah that that feels real weird (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, apparently there was a remix that was done last year where it's a duet with Serhat and Martha Wash. So the way that the Billboard Dance Club chart is compiled, it's not based on sales. It's just based on surveys of dance club DJs. They're just asked, like, what are you spinning? And apparently this is getting enough spins that... To be in the top 40. Yeah. So congrats. Okay, yeah, that, that just feels like a very weird entry of the 2016 entries to rock it up the charts. But you know what? If Martha Wash likes it, I, I guess it's a thing that DJs like, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really can't go wrong with Martha Wash. Personally, I didn't think that there was much different with this track. Like, I I, I felt she was holding back, but... Admittedly, I, I'm not one to be into club, uh, but okay, cool. That's what's happening now. It's still so random. Like, okay, number one, that it's San Marino. Number two, that it's this song from San Marino. <laughs> it's this San Marini's song. So random. So... So random. (laughs) 
And that's the news. <laughs> yes. Kind of related to Martha Wash, who's kind of a drag staple. If you do the drag shows uh, or watch any of RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, her, her voice does come up quite frequently. And since this is Pride Month in the U.S., well, originally what I wanted to do was a topic on why is Eurovision so gay? But nobody on the panel, uh, Ryan's not able to join us this week. We probably should have mentioned that at the top of the show. Nobody really had time to do a doctoral thesis uh, in in the two-week window since the topic was proposed. So. I mean, I feel like my, ex- my explanation was mostly just sort of open, just sort of gesturing at the open air mm-hmm. for a while, just sort of going, but you, you have eyes and you've seen the competition. Right. But I mean, I mean, it's just like I I don't think it's been like the gay Super Bowl Oscars hybrid whatever you want to call it uh since starting in the mid 1950s. I I I don't know when the switchover happened, but that is a topic for another day once we get all of our footnotes in order. But starting to dig into this topic, it was like, okay, well, like how many drag performances have there been at Eurovision? And I guess the first thing that really surprised me about it was there aren't that many. There were only, like, on the list that I found on Eurovision's website and a couple of other websites, there's only, like, four or five that have come up, like, really at all. Uh, the first one being Norway's entry from 1986 by Kettle Stoken called Romeo. And it's not really a drag performance, like at least not not the way that Verka Serdushka, uh, who we'll yeah. be talking about in a little bit. Well, like, yeah, because I watched these in reverse chronological order mm-hmm. and was just like, okay, cool. These have all totally fit. And then watched this one. I was like, okay, but the the performer, like this is one where it is like a backing performer that is dressed up. And it's mostly just kind of like, Marie Antoinette-ish sort of get up. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel like that kind of style of theater feels very... I mean, Shakespearean doesn't quite fit because that's like hundreds of years before, but it feels very much in that tradition. Yeah, I was thinking it was kind of more in the kabuki realm but i think that's yeah. just because like all of the faces are like painted mm-hmm. completely white but yeah it's just this very 1986 eurovision song yes Yeah, there are just these like backing dancers that the French aesthetic, I think, was just a choice just to be like, oh, let's just like throw this in here. I don't think it really ties into the song directly. And it just happens that the female of the pair is being portrayed by a man. Mm-hmm. Like, well, uh, again, it feels like it just sort of ties in with sort of like what you mentioned with Kabuki and what I mentioned with sort of like how Shakespeare and those theater companies, even the women were played by men, mm-hmm. where, it, where it just sort of heavily made up where that's sort of the deal. But yeah, like it it kind of feels like a nice tie-in. I spent the time I was watching the performance trying to figure out if it, if it was, if the person playing the guy in the backing dancers was played by a woman. Mm. Like I was, cause I, I think that I couldn't find anything about that, but I thought that might be the case where it might be a fun subversion. Yeah. But to what end? But, like, but, I mean, but yes, to what end Norway? <laughs> to what end? This was also like before there was any sort of like semifinal or relegation and like Norway just happened to be the host that year too. Mm-hmm. So if they were trying to make a point, I don't think the point was made and mm-hmm. it's included in the list, but like, I think it's just like, oh, this just happens to fit the criteria. Yeah. And to, to 
to return to your point about trying to figure out when Eurovision stopped being kind of just this song contest and became what it is today in terms mm-hmm. of appeal to the like the LGBTQ community is is if you look at this video com- compared to like the, even the next one on the list, this feels much more in the in the classic tradition where yes. there's the intro video and then we ad- we announce the conductor for Norway. And then we launch into the song. Yeah, this entry didn't seem like it was like rebelling against that system. No. Which I yeah, which I mean I, I guess maybe that's where my hang up is, where it's just like with with drag there is like this underlying element of well, not always underlying, but there should at least be an underlying element of subversion mm-hmm. or like challenging something. And I I don't see what is being challenged here other than, oh, well, we needed two dancers and these two were the best dancers we could find, but we need a male and female character. One of you is just going to flip a coin. I was about to say, or in the Monty Python tradition where it's like, well, we wrote a female character, so uh, which one of us is going to put on the dress? Right. And this entry finished 12th out of 20. Yeah, this is this is when Eurovision was a much smaller affair. Yeah, 12th out of 20. Norway was the host, so they did not want to, probably did not want to host again. Yeah, and and it wasn't in last place, uh, yeah, which so is their, their claim to fame. So, <laughs> the next drag entry uh, was 16 years later from Slovenia. The group Sestra uh, with the song, oh help me out here, uh, Samo Lubezian. So- sorry, Slovenia. That's as close <laughs> as I would have gotten. Ben, you were referring to this one earlier. Do you, would you want to talk about this one? Oh uh, yeah, let's talk about this one. Well, this was another one where you, I, I found the the video that we found for this one very, very interesting. If only because we had like this weird sort of thing going on with the intro before the song mm. started. This one feels much more. This feels a step closer, probably, to what we think of as like the modern contest. I think. This was at the point where they had sort of gotten rid of the orchestra. Everything was sort of pre-recorded, and I wonder if, like, if I was going to make some sort of thesis statement about when Eurovision started changing like, like that, I would wonder if it's when they finally got rid of you needed to have a representation of what kind of instruments were playing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if when they got rid of that, that's when it started to sort of ratchet up to, to well, now we don't have to show that on stage, so we can go kind of crazy. This one feels a little bit more kind of old school. I don't know. I, I barely know new school. Yeah, <laughs> but, but this but this felt this still felt kind of dated in a way that that other the other entries we're going to discuss aren't. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely get that vibe, and I I think you might be right about the orchestra and the representations of instruments because if you don't have to show a synthesizer on stage or any other like electronic components to music, yeah, then that really opens up the genre possibilities. A lot of music in like gay culture and drag culture is kind of more toward the EDM end of the music spectrum. I think you would have a difficult time doing that with like a bassoon section. With this entry, I kind of like it. Like there is this sort of like old school campiness about it yeah. that I think would still work today. I mean, like I, th- I think it would work in the sense that it's like, oh, like somebody pointing at it and be like, oh, this is old school and campy, but mm-hmm. still 
appreciate what it's trying to do. Yeah, and I f- the song felt like oddly traditional to mm-hmm. me. And I, I did like the again. This is another one where there was like a there was like a nice sort of quiet subversion in that like one of the backing singers who are all dressed as like the airline pilots to go with the airline stewardesses of the main group. Uh, one of them is a woman. So I again, like this, this just sort of kind of quiet and winking. And admittedly, like there are parts of Europe that are much more conservative. So just sort of dipping their toe in the water and kind of playing with this because I was doing some reading on this one. And in Slovenia itself, there was like an uproar over this group being their representative. Oh, yeah. Like this was this was not like this was maybe groundbreaking, but like not necessarily super accepted. Yeah, and I was actually kind of surprised at how well it did in the contest. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it was a field of uh, 24 countries. Uh, Slovenia finished 13th uh, in the field. So, like, middle of the pack. That's not bad. Uh, but what was really weird about this year was each country had pretty much their own system for doling out points. Like, there were some that were just 100% televote, some that were 100% jury, and some that were, like, some 50-50 system of... Uh, jury and televote and this entry got points from all of those categories okay and like the jury only ones uh that awarded points uh were from like fyr macedonia and bosnia herzegovina which like part of that may just be like the neighborliness uh, Mm -hmm. of it since it is slovenia but it's like all right that's that's kind of cool. And then, and like, there's no way of knowing what the televote situation would have been there because there was no televote. And then on the televote side, you have like UK, Austria, Switzerland, France. So no big surprises there. And then like in the 50-50 system, Croatia was one of, the, uh, it was Croatia and Spain. So like another like neighborly vote there. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. So <laughs> it, there was another lull after uh, 2002 before we got any other drag entries and in 2007 there were two drag entries the first was from denmark the singer dq with the song drama queen i'm your drama queen tonight all my troubles are out of sight when the lights are on i will be your shining star This one is probably the most on the nose entry yeah, of, of yeah, the like five. This one, <laughs> this one was, was just like, "Yep, that's that's definitely what this entry is." Yeah, yeah. Like if 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 you were to say, "Oh, drag act at Eurovision," like this is this is what I would draw the picture of in, in like a Pictionary. Yeah, and yeah. So in this uh, in 2007, it was a supersized semifinal, uh, just the one, mm-hmm. and there were 28 countries competing, and Denmark finished 19th out of 28. Okay. Uh, so I was very confused when I read the notes for this one because there the act's name is DQ. Yes. The song is DQ. Mm-hmm. And initially when I saw the DQ, I'm like, oh, they didn't qualify. And as it turns out, yes, that's true. Yes. So <laughs> DQ, DNQ. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, like that, like this one, I think might have been my least favorite of the clips. 
it felt a little on the nose and also the performance itself could have used some work yeah i'm and i'm a little disappointed because i uh, like tried to find it on spotify and it's just not available in the u.s and yeah i, I just found the performance to be rather flat just vocally flat mm-hmm. i don't know if like dq was just having a bad day or and, and like maybe they just had the bad luck to be one of two drag entries in 2007 and they happened to be the lesser of the two perhaps although ukraine didn't have to compete in the semifinal. oh okay uh, just, yeah that, okay, yeah ukraine. yeah just because this was when they were still doing relegation and yeah i'm 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 so glad we don't have to worry about that system anymore because it really sounded com- <laughs> complex yeah. where it's just like okay the bottom six entries from last year aren't allowed to compete at all and then like six countries that were eliminated like two years ago they get to move up and compete in the semi yeah it it just sounded really messy and and if it's the second tuesday in may no one gets to eat potatoes right this was also another year where they had kind of a mixed system uh going on where there were like two or three countries that only used a jury everybody else used a televote um although denmark did get uh, a couple of points from andorra uh so i guess andorra was uh in attendance in 2007 yeah i I recall andorra from like the first time i watched the contest in 2008 and i have never seen them again this is another one where this the progress of technology is a big factor here where like now we have a reasonable enough phone system everywhere that you can have televotes everywhere right yeah, I think this was the year before like SMS really really rocked took it off. Up. Yeah, frankly, I'm a little surprised that they got 19th out of 28 because yeah, th- this this was just such a basic mm-hmm. performance. <laughs> but it also kind of hints towards like what European drag culture is like. Uh, there was a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, it was either last season or two seasons ago, Charlie Hydes, mm-hmm. and when she was up for elimination, uh, and was like for the lip sync for your life, she just totally checked out, and her excuse was, "Oh well, we don't lip sync in Europe." Uh, she was she was based in the UK. She's like, "Yeah, we just do live singing," and it's just like, "Oh, okay, I, that doesn't explain why you're not able to lip sync." Like, this is not the first season of this show. This song in particular really kind of points toward that culture where mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah, like this This seems like somebody who is much more comfortable with live singing. Whereas like there are on RuPaul's Drag Race, there are often singing challenges. And a lot of the queens are just like, I don't sing, even though like everyone will end up releasing a single at some point after their run on the show. <laughs> so, yeah, like that that that's one of the more interesting things to mm-hmm. come out of this week's project where it's like, oh, yeah, just l- like learning the differences between like European drag culture and American drag culture. So, one of the ambassadors of European drag culture, I think I think that's fair to say. Yeah, is... yeah, like this is this is one of the drag queens I am more familiar with in this list. Yeah, uh, Verka Serdushka from Ukraine, her entry, Dancing Lasha Tumbai. Uh, 
definitely not uh, Russia goodbye. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Uh, no. Eurovision <laughs> is not a political competition. Drink. Drink. So Ukraine won Eurovision in 2005. Uh, so they hosted in 2006. And then they came back in 2007 with this song that uh, landed in second place. It was their first of back-to-back second place finishes at Eurovision. Verka has become a Eurovision staple. Oh yeah, just like keeps popping up. Like there was a video featuring her on like this year's contest talking mm-hmm. to this year's Ukrainian entry. Yeah. It's not like Iceland released a video with last year's entry telling this year's entry. Well, you know, just do your best. Yeah. Verka just keeps popping up everywhere. It was it was kind of annoying in <laughs> in Ukraine last year because they just kept on playing this song rather than well, I guess 1944 <laughs> wasn't really a party anthem and <laughs> I mean, you're probably just going to go back to Verka. Yeah, which... it's either Verka or Wild Dances. And uh, this this one just seemed, I don't know, like it. they were playing it so frequently during Eurovision week that I strongly suspect that anybody who was in Kiev for non-Eurovision reasons, like they just happened to be in town and had no idea what Eurovision <laughs> was, to just be like, is, is this the Ukrainian national anthem? What is going on? I mean, like, as far as, like, all these entries go, this one might be, like, my favorite. This one is fun, hmm. and, like, the performance is just goofy and just very much not taking itself seriously. And it's just the performance is just such an onslaught of just different elements. There are sequins, and there are dancers, and Verka is just running around over the entire stage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so all over the place. And I think this is, like, when people talk about Eurovision derisively, this mm-hmm. might be the one that they, like, kind of point to. And it's like, this is what Eurovision is. It's like, well, yeah, but, yes, like, yes, it's but fun. <laughs> yeah, but like, this, is, this is fun. This, I have no idea what's going on here, but I like it a lot. Yeah, and it's it's multilingual, which is like it's all about unity, you know. Yeah. And but it 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 is one of those songs that just pops up in the darndest places. Like, well, yeah, because uh, like I was I went to the movie Spy a couple years mm-hmm. ago when that movie came out. It was the weirdest thing. Like I was just sitting in the theater enjoying Spy, and then all of a sudden they're in Europe. So here's the European musical act, and it's Verka Serduka, and like I'm the only person in the theater who is enjoying this Easter egg. This Easter egg in the movie is for me. Yeah, like I I didn't see Spy until uh, the holidays last year and like Verka just pops up and I'm just like oh hey girl <laughs> and it's and it's so random because it's like wasn't, wasn't she in the UK at that point like it's just like why, why is any of this happening yeah, why is right any of this now? happening <laughs> uh but yeah just like Verka is there so I think it just has to be like Paul Feig clearly seems to be a Eurovision fan just sticking mm-hmm. that in there like again it's a fun Easter egg and this song is just this song is just kind of weird and all over the place and like it fit that scene too that is the sign of a great drag performance where it's just like you're just in the middle of the show and you're just like what is happening (laughs) those are the best nights at the club let me let me tell you but but yeah like that one was just is just fun and i feel like when we were last in ukraine there were like multiple people in the audience just dressed like verka oh yeah yeah like eurovision cosplay is definitely a thing and verka is a safe one to go with because you just need a bunch of aluminum foil and uh, a star outline and you're good to go so <laughs> the most recent drag act which is now four years ago at this point uh was uh conchita burst uh, her winning song rise like a phoenix uh which uh she sang for austria this one like had just as strong of a reception as uh verka's entry did like getting 12 points from just about everybody like i mean this this was a powerhouse entry and yet at the time it seemed 
really kind of unexpected. I don't, I, at, le- at least that was my takeaway from it. I think part of it was that in, in 2014, Armenia was the favorite to win. Mm-hmm. And then Armenia's entrant made a, what he said was a joke uh, at uh, Conchita's expense and Eurovision fans were not having it and it's like oh this is not good so mm-hmm. he, he did apologize for it and Conchita's just like yeah it wasn't funny but you apologize so we're cool part of why Conchita's awesome this one like you could hear like on the TV broadcast the audience just singing along with every word of this song yeah like, oh the reception of this is much better than like I'd anticipate <laughs> <laughs> so well yeah and like this was like a nice like solid torch song bond so- bond movie number that just worked really really well she got some decent fame out of this like she hosted at least helped host the next year and did did great in the green room i thought yeah i i thought she was fantastic like she, she's uh like you, you've joked before about like mel and sue uh from great british bake-off being the permanent hosts i i would would not mind Conchita being a permanent host because she's just so, I don't know, she just has this aura of graciousness about her that really respond to that. It seems like, at least in the last few years, that the best hosts have been former contestants. Just in, mm-hmm. in even at like the national level, there's something about somebody who has gone through this ringer where yeah. like they are in this for the long haul that just works really well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing it's probably they like they know all of the tricks of the trade and any of the hiccups and just like, oh yeah, I've been there. Like this is all... It's all fun. It's a crazy amount of work, but we're all here to have a good time. And that that's that's what matters. So, <laughs> But yeah, like I thought like this one, I feel like when we were looking at that Eurovision season, that one was one of the favorite ones, but we weren't sure if it was going to be them or Armenia. And I think there was also just like kind of the fear. It's like, well, are people going to respond to this one? Because, I mean, Conchita's look is like a very it's full very beard. Yeah, it's very specific. Yeah. Yeah, very full beard, very long hair, and looks great in a designer gown. And, like, even though this, like, it's weird to kind of call it a drag performance just because, I mean, there isn't, like, confetti flying all over the place. It was just, like, Conchita standing center stage, like, these awesome fire graphics happening uh, around her, and singing the song, which, like, worked really, really well. Yeah, like, it wasn't over the top, but it was also, like, something that you could see at, like, a drag pageant. Like, there is, like, the the gown category and like the the torch song lip synced uh category so uh it it does feel of that tradition but kind of inviting everybody into it so the other question that just kind of came up since there are only these like five entries that came up and it's all involving like men dressed as women that's not the only form of drag that's out there nope there there is a wide spectrum of that yeah so it's just like there's like drag kings which is women dressing as men or like genderqueer or non-binary and just all of these other categories of sort of drag performance art which i think is part of the issue here where like drag is considered more performance art in europe whereas it's it feels a little bit more nuanced here in the States than just being like just lumping it into the performance art category, if, if that makes sense. There just isn't that much that I could find, like not just in like the context of Eurovision, but just like in the context of Europe. Like are drag kings even a thing in Europe? Those results were kind of coming up empty. I found one article about a convention uh, for drag kings that happened in the UK last year. And they were just like, oh, yeah, there are like 80 drag kings uh, in the UK. And it's like, wow, that seems like a really small number. And I landed on like a drag king registry and it included like listings for like US, Asia, the UK and Australia. 
And that was it. Like there was no like continental Europe like entry point. So it's like, okay, I, I guess that's just not mm-hmm. a thing that's happening there. And then just being like, okay, well, what about like just like the gender queer aspect of it? And the only thing that I could think of was one of my all time favorite national final entries, which came from Norway two years ago. Uh, the Hungry Hearts and Laika. She could have been my love. She could have been my life. Let's treat some Moscow with my girlfriend. Let's treat some Moscow with my girlfriend. You could have closed my eyes. You could have told some lies. And then you left me here, out in the atmosphere, without the disco. Oh, I remember this one. So much like how I just have Ida Maria's Scandal Love in my in my 2018 Spotify playlist. Yeah, it's just this very lesbian in its presentation. Uh, there's just like all of these like marching women with like these Sia wigs chanting about uh, walking the streets of Moscow with her girlfriend. And yeah, it's just like it, it, it doesn't get any more subtle than that. <laughs> so... And yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good song, but it was also like, if this were to win the Norwegian final, it did not win the Norwegian final. I have no idea how they would have staged it at Eurovision because there were like 30 of these lesbian yeah. robots yeah. like yeah, marching was... on the stage. And it's just like, this is not going to work <laughs> with six people. Was... <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that was one of the ones where I watched the, the national final that year where I was just watching this. And I'm like, okay, so on one hand, I very much want this to win. On the other hand, I can't yeah. imagine this. Any, in anything yeah, and then other there was than like this. a smart car that drove onto the stage. Like it was just like everything about it was like just so amazing and perfect. Uh, we will we will definitely have a link to this in the show notes if you have not seen this entry. And the only other real gender queer entry that I could find or even conceive of was from Lithuania's national final last year and uh, Lolita Zero with the song "Get Frightened." I still do not like we'll have a link to the video in our show notes as well just because I don't think there's a way to describe it that really does it justice (laughs) it's it's, Lolita Zero is like has these giant horns and it's sort of a dress but not really and just singing in this falsetto the performance ends with uh, her like smashing watermelons with her elbow it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all, all of this is true. So One entry that occurs to me, although I don't know how the band identifies, but they're definitely, they definitely seem to be somewhere in the appropriate range, is Sweden last year had a band with the song Hearts Align. Oh, yes. Oh, what was Where their I name? thought that they were fantastic and totally should have gone to the final, but they didn't get out of the second chance round. Yeah. Really, it's um, in the national finals where we're finding a lot more of... Like drag performances. The band and, name is appropriately dismissed. Yeah. So unless you're watching the national finals, you're probably not seeing a lot of these performances. Like you're definitely not seeing these performances at Eurovision, but it's just kind of like hidden in there. Like Camille Show, who was in Armenia's national final. Yeah, uh, we, who we, we talked about earlier in like episode 10. Right. Yeah. Like that. that's another drag performance. And it's like you're, there's always 
you can always count on there being at least one like drag performance like in the full selection season pantheon is that the word i'm going for it's the word i'm gonna choose anyway it's but yeah i mean considering the hundreds of songs and the audience that eurovision attracts you would really think that there would be like greater representation of that and i'm i'm just sort of baffled as to why that's not happening it could be for very much the same reason that a lot of the countries choose to perform in english rather than their national language Mm. is that you're trying to appeal to as wide a group as possible which means that you're maybe gonna go for simpler themes like love like unity like stuff like that which doesn't preclude yeah sending a drag performer who knows yeah oh well no, no. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of drag, so that's that's one of the reasons. I think that's one of the reasons, like why I have latched onto Eurovision. I mean, not initially, I guess, since there wasn't like any major drag performances happening at the time that I was like onboarding onto the contest. But mm-hmm. I'm glad that this is a competition and like a venue for that that kind of expression. I'm just hoping that like. We continue to see that kind of expression happening mm-hmm. and that it, and that it's encouraged uh, throughout the competition. Well, yeah. And like you mentioned how that was sort of an entry point for you into the contest mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of weeks. I think just as a preview, we're going to go we're going to discuss one of my entry points in the competition. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Maybe less of a discussion. More Ben gets to talk about the Apple for 30 minutes, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, we, we will have a link to the trailer in the show notes. Yeah, just just a heads up. It's it's a movie that. Yeah, often it, it, like bounces on and off streaming services, and it it's not really streaming anywhere right now. Unless I think there it's is like Epics. one service where if you, yeah, Epics, where if you have the right cable provider, uh, you can you can watch it. I'm trying to remember if I've seen it on the streaming service Comet before. I feel like they've aired that as part of their like bad movie section because it's it looks sci-fi-y enough. Yeah, well, it does take place in the future of 1994. We will get into that whole thing. Yeah, in a we, weeks. we don't want to spoil too much of it. Don't want to give too much away of this ridiculous movie. Thank you, Ben, for joining me in my ridiculousness. Always happy to join in your vision ridiculousness, Mike. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. You can find our previous episodes on our website at eurowhat.com or by subscribing to the podcast through Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. When you add the subscription, feel free to rate and review us to let us know how we're doing and help other Eurovision fans find us. You can also find us on social media at EuroWhat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So thanks for listening. Thanks, y'all. 